There's one thing I've never done, but secretly kind of want to, <laughs> but probably never will, and that's crash a wedding party. You know, sneak in, pretend I'm someone who wasn't on the invite list. Now, the goal is not to spoil the party, but just to go in, unassuming, congratulate the bride and groom, maybe dance with my wife, make some new friends, give a toast, <laughs> eat that seven courses of delicious food, you know, no big deal. And I know there was a movie made about this sort of thing a while back, and I know in, in fairly recent history there was a couple who received their 15 minutes of fame by crashing a White House party. Whew. Can you imagine the sheer terror but thrilling rush at the same time they must have felt doing that? Now, I'm not here to discuss the moral or even legal issues that could come with crashing these kinds of parties. What I'm really here to talk about is the fact that I like big parties, receptions, banquets, a place where you go, you get dressed up, you show up, and then everything's just provided for you. Those kinds of parties are fun to go to and be invited to. You love those kinds of gatherings? Now, I haven't been to a wedding reception in quite a long time, so if any of you watching, if you're getting married anytime soon or you know of anyone getting married, could you put in a good word for me, right? Sneak me onto the list. I promise I'll bring a gift. <laughs> no, but the real reason I'm bringing this up is because of the parable we heard read this morning about a great banquet that the king throws, and he invites all of the expected honorable guests. You see, that's why crashing a party is even a thing. Because the fact remains, not everyone gets invited to every party. In fact, that can be one of the most difficult decisions to make when you're planning this sort of shindig. Who to invite? There are some people who get cut out right away. And perhaps for obvious reasons. Right? Maybe Maybe you invite the next-door neighbor, the one who you talk to every day. Maybe he makes the list. But not that family from four blocks over who said hi to you once when you walk by their house. <laughs> or maybe it's a bit more pragmatic, right? Immediate family and first cousins make the list, but great aunts and second cousins, as much as you love them, they get left off, maybe just because of space. But it could also be strategic, Maybe you invite Great Uncle Ron, because Great Uncle Ron is rich, <laughs> and you know that if he gets an invite and he shows up, you're going to get a pretty good gift. Now, don't tell me that that scenario or something like it hasn't played out in some way in real life. Regardless, we understand that in some way, shape, or form, there are those who have an invitation and those who don't. Whether they're good or valid reasons or not, that's the way it is. And to get an invitation is a big deal. It means that you mean something to the host. They consider you worth the paper and the time and the space and the expense to make sure that you are included. Included in the festivities and the merrymaking of whatever event you're celebrating. And it's an honor, right, to receive an invitation. Now, just to provide a little context before we talk about the parable itself, just before this parable, we discover that Jesus has been invited to a prominent Pharisee's house on the Sabbath day to eat some bread. And as Jesus comes, he notices that all the guests, the other guests, as they arrive, they're trying to choose the best seats in the house. Maybe they're trying to get closer to the host. 
or they're choosing the seat with the best view or the one with the comfiest cushions. I don't know. Jesus notices this and he tells this first little parable. He says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not recline in the place of honor or perhaps someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. The one who invited both of you may come and tell you, give this man your place. Then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and recline in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will tell you, friend, move up to a higher place. Then you will have honor in the presence of all who are reclining at the table with you. Yes, everyone who exalts himself, Jesus says, will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, doesn't this run contrary to what comes naturally to us? I I see this play out all the time in all kinds of circumstances, even while driving. I was joking just this past week with someone that there's always this person. Imagine you're on a two-lane road and it merges into one. There's always this person who will intentionally put the pedal to the metal so they can zip around you just to get ahead. You know that 15 feet <laughs> that they gain that's really important for some reason, right? It, it means the difference between getting through a yellow light and getting stopped at the red. So of course, this plays out at the airport too. It doesn't matter if you have assigned seats or not. You always, you always want to be as close to the first person on the plane as possible. As soon as your row number is called or your seating block uh, is, is announced, you run to the front of the line. Now, open seating, totally different scenario. Uh, remember back when we could actually go to movies, and before you could pick your own seats, which is kind of handy, when I'd go to the movies, and I love to go, I insisted on getting there 45 minutes early. Why? So I could pick the best seat. And the best seat, by the way, is about a third of the way back, smack dab in the middle. I know, I know. Some of you side row sitters, right, you, you think there's advantages to sitting in the aisle. I get it, especially if you're knocking back popcorn and soft drinks. But we can debate that some other day. The point is, everybody vies for that seat, for that place of honor. Everyone wants to be seen in a positive light or have a positive position. Everyone pours honey on their situation so that others will think they have it together and they will see you in the way you want to be seen. I know this because I see your social media posts. I see the perfect posing and the flattering angles. And I know it's often the result of multiple bad takes, but then you post the best one. And I know this is true because I do it too. We want people to take notice of us. We want other people to think we are worthy and worth something. And so we choose our seats carefully. But I've also eaten a big old slice of humble pie before, more than once. Truth remains, the grass will always be greener. There will always be someone who is more. There will always be someone who does it better. And in a similar fashion, this is also how some guests get invited to the best banquets. There are some parties, there are some invitations that require a certain level of status to be on the guest list. These aren't just parties for anyone. And perhaps even being family is not enough to qualify you to get in. We, we can all understand this to a certain degree when it comes to 
major events. But think about the people you spend your time with. Most of us seek out time and attention from those we consider distinguished or worth our time, or maybe more to the point, someone who might bring benefit to us, who might bring us some positive attention. You know, this is, this is how our parable begins. There's a man who throws a great banquet, and he invites all kinds of different people, not just anyone or everyone, but specific guests. And we know as we read this parable that this man has already enjoyed some kind of status already because he has servants who are ready to do his bidding. All indications point to this being a pretty big bash. But slowly and steadily, the regrets start pouring in. One of the invited guests has some yard work to do. One has scheduled an oil change. One of them has to do their grocery shopping or it'll never get done. One of them has to go and change all the light bulbs in their house for some reason. (laughs) The idea here is this. All of those people who were invited clearly indicate to the host that they have better things to do. Now, if it's one person who can't make the party, fine. Understandable, it happens. But when everyone on the guest list turns you down, not so fine, not so fun. I've been there before. You plan what you hope is going to be a a big, fun celebration with lots of people, and out of the 20 or so you invite, only two show up? That hurts. And the same thing happens here. All the people the man invited return his invitation, and rightfully so, he's angry and hurt. But he's prepared a feast. He's not going to let it go to waste. So the man does something surprising. He commands his servants to go out into the streets and find the crippled, the lame, the blind, the poor, and invite them to the party. You have to understand this day and age just a bit to understand why these groups are targeted. It's not so much that they were crippled or blind. It's that given their condition and this time in history, these people were the beggars, the forgotten, the unseen, the unworthy. There was no chance from this group of people that any of these newly invited guests would be able to do anything to return the favor to the man throwing the party. They had nothing truly to offer. And what's more, what would they really contribute to his reputation? Nothing. Or worse, they might tarnish it. This man hangs out with this group of people. And here's what's even more astonishing. The servants do a quick head count, and they say to the master, we've still got room. And Jesus continues as he tells the story. He says, then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges, even farther from the the edges of our town and urge the people to come in so that my house may be filled. Yes, he says, I tell you that none of those men who were invited will taste my banquet. Now, doesn't that seem a bit extreme? It seems that the host of this party wants to be sure that even if one of the original guests gets even a twinge of a guilty conscience and and shows up, 
to the party after all, perhaps begging mercy. There would be no room for them. All the seats are already taken. There'd be no seat for them at the table. That sounds extreme, and it is. But this isn't a story (laughs) about party etiquette. This is a story about the kingdom of God. And who is going to find themselves in the eternal banquet of our King Jesus? As we said a few weeks ago, there will come a time when Jesus will return and the door will be shut. Now, everyone, everyone, everyone in the entire world has an invitation to this eternal banquet. But there are some who in their pride or arrogance or foolishness reject the invitation. Those who consider themselves worthy will find themselves humbled. And those who are humble will find themselves worthy. For the king has exalted them and elevated them simply by his invitation. And in humility, they simply showed up. They didn't earn a spot. They can't return the favor. And yet, they enjoy the goodness and the graciousness of the host. This parable for us about the kingdom of God provides a warning and a blessing. The warning is this. Don't assume you are more important or more valuable or more worthy than anyone else. Rather, as our Lord Jesus does, in humility, consider others more than yourselves. Because if you come and you place yourself in a seat that isn't yours, you might lose it altogether. And Consider the people you deem worthy of your time and energy and attention. Are you serving them? Are you helping them really to serve them or really to serve yourself and make yourself look better? We have to be careful because there's no room at the table for those who think they are more important than they are and especially for those who have more important things to do. I give this little scenario to our confirmation students at the end of our time together in our interview as a way to consider the importance of of what this parable means and what it means to come to church and gather as God's people to stay connected to the community, the body of Christ. I want you to do this. Think about something that you enjoy doing, a sport, a hobby perhaps, and then think about someone who is well-known and highly successful in that field. Right, so for example, let's say you love to play basketball, and maybe you think of Michael Jordan, a living legend, right? And he's local. <laughs> he's one of the greatest players of all time. So now imagine, later today, you get a phone call from Michael Jordan, and he says to you over the phone, hey, I've got an hour reserved at a gym nearby you, Wednesday morning. Why don't you come on out, spend an hour with me, one-on-one, and I can show you a thing or two. So that's the scenario. Here's the question. What do you do? Well, you've got work or school or kids to care for. But more than likely, even if it's on a Wednesday morning, (laughs) you're going to drop all that stuff and make whatever arrangements you need to do so that you can be there to learn from the best. So let's pretend then that that goes great. And after your hour is done, Michael Jordan says to you, okay, same time, same place next week. Now, what do you do? Maybe it's still not a difficult decision. 
You go again. I mean, it's Michael Jordan after all. But then the same thing keeps happening. And you get another invitation. Same time, same place, same Michael. But now you begin thinking, how long is this going to go on? I mean, I can't, I can't keep taking off work. I've got other things to do. I've got more important things to do. And eventually, you get to a place where you turn down Michael Jordan. You tell MJ you've got better things to do. Now, I give you this scenario because this is often what we do with God's invitation. We show up once to church, or we start a devotion, or we begin enthusiastically to serve or to share or to get involved. But very quickly, we begin to think, you know what? I've got other things to do. Maybe I'll do this church thing every other week or every other month. Or, well, I went last Christmas. Maybe this year I'll do Easter and we'll do it that way. We'll just cover all the holidays. We end up telling God we have better things to do than to receive his invitation to spend some time with him, the creator of the universe and the savior of the world who gave his life for you, has invited you to come and spend some time with him and you say you have better things to do? How foolish and how arrogant are we to think we know better or have better things to do? But here's the blessing. God's invitation is not for those who are worthy or righteous, or have it all together, or make all the right decisions. God's invitation is for those who are broken, sinful, guilty, hurting, sick, lost, or dying. God invites those who have no chance of ever paying back or returning the favor, which means God's invitation is for you. We confessed this earlier. If you say you're without sin or you, you have it all together, then we also confess the truth is not in us. We make God out to be a liar. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and loving and kind and will forgive your sins. And where there is forgiveness, there is salvation. And where there is salvation, there is life. And where there is life, well, there's an eternal banquet with the God who made us with the Son who saves us, and with the Spirit who keeps us in faith. You have the invitation. Receive it from your King with gladness. Recognize that your worthiness comes from His invitation and not your own accomplishments or accolades. And now, having received this invitation and a place at the table, now when you go out into the streets, you look, for the lost, the broken, the hurting, the sick, and you care for them, you love them, and you bring them to Jesus so that together we might eat at his banquet table forever. This is the example we have from our King who has laid down his life so that we might live. And now this King says, go and do likewise. For this is life in the kingdom of God. Amen.